Hello, I'm Paul DeResta, and I'm delighted to be given the unexpected opportunity to present this podcast. Oh, my time's up. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. My name's Gareth, and I admit I am an addict of Formula One, which makes this period of F1 on holiday a little difficult. He's Zog. Hello. Do you suffer the same problem? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, you can share. And Richard Porter, welcome to our self-help group. How are you feeling? A bit clammy, shaky, can't sleep. Yeah, okay. That's mainly the heroin. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are in the middle now of a Formula One season, and what a season it's turning out to be. There's a bit of a revival on certain circuits for Ferrari, We're seeing Vettel getting his elbows out. We're seeing not much from Honda. (laughs) Well, you say that, but they're showing signs of adequacy. I mean, come on. And they'll be happy with that, Richard, won't they? They'll be happy with adequacy. Well, (laughs) what a world where McLaren Honda aspires to being adequate. They got into the top 10, didn't they? In Hungary, in qualifying. They got into the top ten. Yeah, and they got both cars in the points, did they not? Well done them. I don't know. I'm still intrigued by these rumours that were flying around, seem to have gone a bit quiet again, that they would actually bin Honda Mm mid-season. I can't see it happening somehow, unless, as we speak in the summer recess, there's going to be some kind of incredible step change, and there's a Mercedes-branded lorry backing up to the factory and woking as we speak. I just can't see it happen. I'm sure there's too much paperwork. I'm gonna, it, it, with quite a sleight of hand, I mean, it would be a bit like the scene in episode two of Games of Thrones that I've just realised that I can't actually mention because you, Richard, haven't seen it yet mm. and we don't want to spoil your enjoyment of that particular show. Sleight of hand. some time, because as we were saying before we started recording, <laughs> I'm starting to think Game of Thrones isn't as good as we all think it Stop is. It. But... Every so often I just think, I could just simplify my life by not watching it. Yeah, you could. And I don't know that I would miss it. I think I could live without it. Who wants a simple life, as Ron Dennis probably said? (laughs) But but to get back to the McLaren Honda thing, it would be a hell of a sleight of hand if they managed to pull an engine supply out of the bag mm, mid-season. The latest thinking is that they are discussing with Renault. Apparently, Renault plant next year, which would be amazing if that happens. We'll come to all that other stuff in a moment, but I actually want to talk about a unique event which happened at Hungary. I don't ever remember seeing with such dignity before. The way that Mercedes re-allowed Bottas to take the lead from Hamilton in the closing laps of the race. That is... He's uncommonly generous. It was, he, he did the right things. I was delighted to see that. I thought I it, it. It's, it's not just about winning. It's about the manner in which you win. It's about the way yeah. you win, you know? Yeah. And when we come to the end of the season, whether Hamilton wins the title or not, he's done it in the right way. It, uh, was, it was good. He good will regret. <laughs> it spoke well of him. That yeah. He can be quite petulant. He's certainly a racer in the way that all of the best F1 drivers and champions are, Mm. where it's sort of do or die and they don't give in. And you see it in Vettel 
and Alonso, just as you saw it in Willing well, to Senna, do anything. Senna's the obvious example. Yeah. You know, sometimes that manifests itself in ruthlessness. Oh, what, a bit like Cersei in Game of Thrones, perhaps. Stop just mentioning Game of Thrones, <laughs> please. And I think it was a really noble and dignified thing yeah. to do. He yeah. didn't have to do it, particularly because Bottas was so far back. And I don't know what else was said or not said, but it just felt like a deal's a deal, and yeah. he was a gentleman and he, and about he, it. He held up his end of the bargain, yeah. and we admire him all the more for it. It was such a thing to give up, because he was giving up a spot yeah. on the podium. Yeah. Yeah, Psychologically, yeah, yeah. that's important, isn't yeah. it? I think it's then going. Oh no, I'll take the third of the losers. It is. It, it is important, it. but I say, well, I say, third of the losers. If you're not on the top step of the podium, if you haven't won the race, mm. you're one of the losers. Mm-hmm. And so, I think to some extent, he would be more concerned about the points, yes. the point tally, rather than making it onto the podium mm. again. Is he playing the grown-up? long game there could be a universal resetting of this you know there could be I think he's a man of his word it's as simple as that he said he'd give the place back presumably and he did imagine when we get to the last race of the year which is what Abu Dhabi again this year and Vettel has a sufficient point advantage over Lewis and once again Bottas is in front of Hamilton and on the last lap Bottas will be obliged to allow Hamilton through to get enough points to beat Vettel. We were talking about consequences earlier on. This is like Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones, where an event happens, <laughs> okay, yeah. and, and there's a payback we later on in the series. The Game of Thrones can. That's it. That's, that's. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's uncommonly dignified and gentlemanly and beautiful to see. I'm so chuffed about that. It's reinstated my belief in Lewis, I think. I like him more for that. Also, there's a very big... I'm just going to say it. I was trying to avoid saying it, but there's a big take-home from this. I'm sorry. <laughs> Irritating. Well, expression. going forward. Going forward. Yeah. Circle back to the take-home from this is... The chief message. not been... Yet. <laughs> yes, yes. Mention Game of Thrones again as well. Um, <laughs> just, and it's that Hamilton likes Bottas. Right, yeah, exactly. He's yes, prepared yes. to it, work it, with him yeah. as a team. It says something about the, the dynamics of the... Because I don't yeah. think he'd have done such favours for Rosberg last season. Mm. That just wouldn't have happened. Okay, too much, so too much going on. Hamilton likes Bottas, we like Bottas, everyone likes Bottas. Some of us don't like Vettel as much as we used to since he tried bumping Lewis. Do you think he got away with murder? Because we haven't talked about this on the programme. Do you think when Vettel thumped into Lewis thinking that he brake-tested him, do you think he should have been banned for a race? What was the penalty he got? Was it 10 seconds? Yeah, and then he's had his licence endorsed as well, hasn't he? So it's yeah. now, he's now... And then he apologised. Uh, in such a position, if he does something like that again, he is in peril of having his licence suspended. Mm. But also then he's basically been given the equivalent of community service, hasn't he? Which is fine. It was a complete dick move, that's the thing. A total yeah. dick move. It was but, you know, deliberate, it was dangerous, it was absolutely not the kind of thing you want to in any way suggest is OK. Then again, they were behind the safety car, they weren't at racing speed. Yes. Did Schumacher get penalised for that time when he almost ran Barrichello into the pit wall? I can't remember, because, uh, I mean, that's a dick move at racing speeds. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to me, that's much worse. This was a dick move at a much lower uh, pace. Yeah. And that does make a difference. But also, yeah. the stewards decided what they decided. Maybe they could have been a little harsher, but they made their ruling. I think I found it more annoying the way that everybody was getting rather puffed up and pompous about it and insisting more should be done. Also, you can't ignore the fact that in the back of their minds, I would imagine they're thinking, well, if we exclude this guy... It rather spoils the overall spectacle of the sport that we've got going on here, yeah, where, yeah. thank God, we've mm. got some kind of battle going on, which in yeah. many seasons has been lacking. So 
you don't want to take him out of the equation too much. It was, a, it was a heat of the moment thing. And I think he is prone to those, isn't he? He's just terribly prone to Can moments pop. of stamping well, hang on. petulance. Yeah, but you shouldn't go easy on a driver because he's one of the guys who's leading the championship or he's one of the guys who's making it a good championship. If you're giving somebody a penalty for a dick move or reckless driving, whatever it is, that should be done without favour. You'd have an even-handed application of your penalty. Yes, but I do think it was probably playing on the minds of the people who commented on Yeah, oh, sure, yeah, yeah, right, yes. Where yeah. they go, right, how harsh should we be? Even subconsciously, they must have been thinking, yeah. oh, let's not. Let's well, not given, given... You're going to err on the side of caution in the race, yeah. to be sure, yeah. Given your belief, Richard, then they've done the right thing. In order to protect the entertainment, they've sort of put him on a warning he knows that he's now on shaky ground and that actually enhances a sense of jeopardy for the sport as well you know it's another part of the story arc another level of the dynamic a bit like in game of thrones where you've got characters i'm, glad, I'm glad you mentioned white up no i'm serious it's part of the backstory we love falling on because of the backstory because we these little moments that we catalog we remember and we create a profile of each driver and that's what we watch when we watch the race we want them to do well or don't do well because of their behavior as much as how good a driver they are it's mm. a soap opera isn't it we love it now while we're talking about vettel Vettel tried to drive a Ferrari with a shield, a wind shield, as the Americans might say, on it. Did you see it? Did you see what it looked like? Yeah, I thought it looked quite good. Yeah. But it looks better than the Halo, I think. Unfortunately, uh, did you read about one of the unexpected aero results from that, which is that it somehow forces the air over the driver's helmet, but then down the back of it, so their head is being pushed forward. So oh. I found it was a bit weird, like they wouldn't have modelled that or mm. indeed just stuck it in a wind tunnel and figured that out. But apparently mm. that was one of the issues. And also he said it made him dizzy, yeah. which I found strange. I mean, it's hard well, to say unless you're actually sitting in that car. I imagine there was some kind of weird distortion to it. But fundamentally, he was just looking through a clear piece of plastic. But this is why you do that kind of testing, obviously, to iron out those wrinkles. He see only how managed one practice. lap, didn't he? One lap. He, he said sure. the distortion was so severe it was making him woozy. I mean, you've well, driven I mean, a Saab 99, you know what a bendy <laughs> Or a modern Mini. They have very upright screens and things. But unless you've got totally non-reflective surfaces, you're always going to get points in the Mm. lap, and particularly on a bright day, you're going to get reflections. Or in the lights in some of the tracks at Singapore. Or or in the rain. There's there's Mm. a lot of eventualities, I suppose, they've got to figure out. I would guess they'll stick some Rain-X on it if they were going to use it for the rainy ones. <laughs> the drops would just be blown off, but yeah. it'd be no worse than having the rain over your visor, which isn't really an issue, is it? They'd probably have tear-offs, big, really great big tear-offs on it, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. imagine. It's some kind of hand-crank system to peel <laughs> the tear-off. Well, you've got, you've got, like, like, man, like a dwarf, Tyrion Lannister. Don't say it! <laughs> They've got tear-offs on windscreens at Le Mans, on yeah. endurance racing cars, yeah. Yeah. so you'd have them on a smaller... Yeah. And they make screen bendy like screens work, don't they? Yeah. Le Mans, well, we manage that. It's true, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, it's all that material, isn't it? Because they're not doing the aero screen. But they're really. a closed cockpit, and in a closed mm-hmm. cockpit, you're going to get fewer reflections from, if you like, behind the screen, mm-hmm. whereas if you're in an mm-hmm. open cockpit, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going to go with the flip-flop, aren't they? Well, actually, on that point, sorry, so you're right. What's about the canopies on fighter jets? They're very complex pieces of glass. Just flat at are. the front, aren't they? Oh, no, they are. The no, modern ones are quite curvy. Think, think about F-16. Yeah. An A-10 has flat glass yes, at the front. Does. But if you think about an f Think about an F-16 and F-18, they've yeah. got big bulbous... Compound curves. Uh, uh, w- this is w- probably a conversation for another day, but I do enjoy an A-10. I think everyone oh, does, I don't they? But oh, here's the thing. We'll save this for another show, but what is the car equivalent of an A-10 Warthog? Oh, uh, I don't know, a Land Rover with a 
20 millimeter cannon attached to it. I don't know. Galendon <laughs> Vargen. Yeah, it probably is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, they've sort of been progressively yeah. modernised, but you can't overcome the fundamental old-fashionedness yes. of the hull. And yeah, they're sort of incredibly sturdy. Nice. Anyway, like, we'll come uh, back the, to this yeah. one. So we've got the but, halo. You know, Simon Templar, Simon Templar, Roger Moore. I just think of Beyonce and that song. She won't sing for copyright reasons. Thank you. But every time someone says the halo, I just hear Beyonce <laughs> belting out that word. It's not beautiful, is it? It's going to happen. I think she's quite attractive. (laughs) You know. Jay-Z thinks so. Uh, Oh, yes, the halo, right, yeah. yeah. And it is going to happen. There's no two ways about it. And I believe all the teams bar one objected. I love the way Nicky Lauder's... Who didn't object? It's a good question. It's very hard to look at a development that's going to make it safer for the drivers, to make mm. it less likely for a driver to be horribly injured or killed in certain eventualities, and say, no, let's not do that. Mm. That's the, that's that's call, the trick of it, isn't it? Yeah, because you're going, well, now we know it exists. Mm-hmm. If still... something happened and it wasn't being used... it's would be uh, sued for not it's, being uh, We're deeply into the Radio 4 moral maze territory here. Well, you're getting into this moral territory. This touches on the thing of how dangerous do you want the sport to be? Because mm-hmm. I don't think you can get away with the fact that the element of danger is part of the appeal. One of the reasons why we like, why we admire the drivers, we admire their skill, is that they're doing their thing in circumstances that could get them killed and we hmm. envy their ability to keep their cool and to do that well consistently lap after lap whilst they're risking their lives or risking serious injury if you remove that danger entirely it may still be just as hard to get round that corner at that speed but we're still not going to admire them quite as much are we try this on for size the more casual F1 fan actually likes to see the old accident. Oh, they live crazy. But they yeah. want to see yeah. the driver then get out and go, oh, oh, yeah, OK. Correct. Right, yeah. sure. So I suppose, in a way, you want the drivers to feel as safe as they possibly can be because then they'll be more inclined to take risks. I mean, I think that's the sort of standard what, what mentality want, of F1 want, drivers, what, what, which is... What we want is a completely safe car, yeah. but if you crash, a really scary clown will jump out and go, whoa! I know where I was going okay. with it, but I like your idea all the same. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I think we, we, yeah, most of sports has gone down the wrong avenue here. You have to acknowledge that the introduction of the halo is in part a reaction to Jules Bianchi's tragic death. Head protection is the focus, but the point we should perhaps focus on is that. Jules Bianchi, his situation was severely aggravated, not by not having any frontal protection, but by the fact that the race has been run in a thunderstorm and that there was a tractor on circuit. Now, you can make the drivers safer by eliminating the tractors from the circuit with better management and training of that and not running in dangerous conditions. You don't need to put airbags on your car. Do you know what I mean? I, no, I, I know what you mean, and, and you're right about that, but what about Felipe Massa's yeah, accident yeah. where he was hit by the spring? Now, that is exactly the kind of case yep. where a halo would have prevented a nasty well, Possibly, yes. Same with Justin Wilson's accident. Mm-hmm. I think the belief is that mm. a halo-type thing would have prevented that. Jules Bianchi, no. The general consensus seems to be that was such a mm. freak and unfortunate accident that the halo wouldn't have helped that. And it was, as you say, Gareth, because there was a digger on the track, yeah. effectively. Yeah. But the weather bit I don't agree with, because actually that goes back to what Zog was saying, that the appeal of seeing 
people skirting the fringes of danger mm. and part of it is seeing these people taking on adverse conditions as well mm-hmm. it's always the great definer of a truly great driver if they're quick in the wet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and there's some drivers who are sort of underrated because they really shine when it's wet you know button is always great in the wet you know really yeah. great it shows that the, the, the true the quality of the is core. Yeah. Oh, and it's always a great decider I would hate to think they go and they already do a little bit with there's too much standing water you know famously there have been instances where they go oh it's a bit too wet we won't go out and I always think boo hiss you're being paid loads get out there mm-hmm. yeah. so I hate to see that restricted for safety reasons I can't remember the last sort of big smash in the wet it's been a while hasn't it but you're right I mean better management it was a crass mistake in Japan to have that digger thing anywhere where a car could hit it yeah. but the weather that's part of what we're hoping to see is it sorts out the true greats mm. yes watch great. them battle the conditions yeah 40 years ago Tom Price died from a head injury in Kailami this is the 40th anniversary And the reaction then was not to give the drivers a cockpit, but to train marshals Mm. in a way that made the sport potentially safe enough for big investment from multinationals, hence modern Formula One. There is a financial imperative to make the sport safer. And Richard, I think, absolutely correctly pointed out kind of legal duty of care, Mm. which has surfaced now. And I think, like it or not, that's inevitable, isn't it? In motor racing, in aviation safety standards, over the years, you know, we've had a process of when accidents happen, you look at what led up to that accident happening. And if there's something that you can change Mm. to make things safer in future, you do that. And that's why commercial aviation is as safe as it is today. It's Mm. It's remarkably safe to travel in a flimsy aluminium tube. Yeah. It's incredibly safe because of this constant process of learning from accidents. And you have to do the same motor. It's unbelievable, really, isn't it? I mean, this is probably another separate conversation. Planes pass over my house quite high up when they're stacking things. And they've never fallen out. Never fallen fallen on my house. But I do sometimes find myself, because my little boy is also obsessed with planes. So if we're in the garden on a nice day in the clear skies and we're just looking at the planes and I've got one of those little nerdy apps on my phone so I can see what the planes are and things. But I do sometimes have this moment where I go, there's 300 people sitting up there, mm-hmm. thousands of feet up, and there's another 300 people, there's another 150 people, they're just all passing over. And we take this almost for granted now, and actually it's a mind-boggling well, feat. I mean, I it's so safe to fly, oh, I have a, well, it's a, generally. Well, yeah, I, mean, I mean, when it goes wrong, it goes very wrong, but yeah. how few occasions does that come to pass? Yeah, it's remarkable. Well, it depends but, I mean, if you're flying Aeroflot or not. <laughs> I see planes flying overhead, and every now and again... I'm an irritatingly science-based, rational, engineering-oriented person. But I do still look at an airliner going around and think, that thing just can't work. How can that (laughs) thing fly? It's just too big and heavy. The answer is, the top half of the wing sucks. Okay, that was Lana Del Rey with Ooh, I'm a Bit Sad. And coming up next is Beyonce with the long-awaited follow-up to Halo. This is her new track, and it's called Some Kind of More Elegant Head Protection Device, given that we all agree such a safety measure is necessary. Step Petrol! we got a show's on speed! There is a Chinese curse, I believe, which is May You Live in Interesting Times. It's a terrible curse, isn't it? And I think we've probably been cursed at the moment, not just the political arena, but the huge movement in motorsport towards emerging car technologies. 
is a beautiful and wonderful thing, but it's having consequences, I think, at the moment. The most obvious one, the most immediate one, is that Porsche have decided to remove themselves from competing in the WEC, and therefore the Le Mans 24-hour, with a view to joining Formula E, or some say even Formula One, as an engine supplier in the next few years. But we'll see. It's great that Porsche are going with the whole Mission E statement. Electric cars, we love them. But let's discuss the small vacuole which is appearing in the centre of the Le Mans 24 hours now that we only have Toyota as a factory hybrid entry. And they are going to compete in 2018. But with who? Well, what are they? I think as we're recording this, they haven't confirmed their commitment to 2018 because I think they had said, yes, we're going to compete in 2018. But they said that in the Bef- expectation that they would be competing against Porsche next year yeah, in the WC and at Le Mans. And now that Porsche are not going to be there, I think that does actually throw into question whether Toyota would even be there. Well, I, I think. it's interesting, isn't it? Because on the one hand, mm-hmm. unfinished business, yeah. they want to win it. Mm-hmm. But also, but, is it a hollow victory if they win it when there's no other LMP1 rival? And also, what if they're beset by the bad luck that's marked the past two years at Le Mans, and in fact they don't finish, and it's an open goal, and they still manage to somehow dink it over the crossbar? That's the micro scale. That's the small scale thing. I mean, the big picture here is what the hell's going on? Just how bad is this crisis that we're looking at at the moment? You know, how bad is it? And I think it's pretty bad. Are you considering not going to Le Mans next year if there's no big LMP1 slug out at the front? Uh, I did wonder the last week whether after this year's race, you know, we sort of talked vaguely about plans for next year and who might be coming along. And, you know, we were thinking it would be a pretty big trip next year. You know, I've been looking forward to that. But in the last week, I've been asking myself if something doesn't happen for LMP1 and there's just Toyota and... Two privateers, maybe. Do I really want to go and watch that race? I don't know. There is a suggestion that next year there will be at least six LMP1 non-hybrid cars running using chassis from this Dallara Russian partnership and uh, And Ginetta, of course. And this third one, Perin. Perin with two N's. Perin. It looks like Perrin. Perrin. never heard of Perrin before. It's an open source car. They claim already to have two cars running next year. So there could be a kind of interesting sub LMP1 class with a bunch of cars running, run by teams like SMP, some great teams who've done well in LMP2. Manor are said to be running, I think, is it the Janetta chassis next year? They're certainly looking at running an LMP1 chassis. And they're capable of doing that. We know what they're capable of in endurance racing now. They've had a good couple of years. So I'm reminded, and Richard, you said when we discussed old Le Mans on the Le Mans show, you enjoyed that peek back into some mm. alternative reality. We could have a sort of alternative future reality here, where in the past we've had races won by cars outside of the top category. It would be interesting if non-hybrid LMP1s proved to be more entertaining than the Well, OK, car. but look, but it's only memorable and great if the car's in the lower category or something that you're not expecting to have a shot at the win when they win. It only means something if they've done that against a strong competition. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. and when you've got two or three big manufacturers slogging it out at the front of the field. Mm. And two years ago, we had Audi, Porsche, 
Toyota, and Nissan. Nissan, and Rebellion, mm-hmm. and Collars. And Collars. Yeah, great. But that was two years ago. And Peugeot were thinking of coming back in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and now all we've got is Toyota, probably. I rather jokingly wrote to the ACO via Twitter the other day to say, Dear ACO, could you invite Hyundai, Tesla, and River Simple each to run a Garage 56 car? In next year's race. <laughs> Which would be great, but... And they wrote back! I, I, I saw. The ACO said, oh, we'll think about it. <laughs> that was good enough for me. Well, they've got, they got to fill out the field somehow. But, but I mean... They, I mean I'd go and watch that. But also, there's this prospect of... I know there'll still be these LMP1 cars there, just not with the sort of big hitter factory teams. Mm. There'll be the LMPL. But then it? you've also got... I'm assuming the Ford GTs will still be there. Mm-hmm. And Aston yep. will still be there. Yeah, oh, yeah. And Porsche will still be there because people will be running 911s, as they yeah. always do. And then mm. you get all these other people running Ferraris and things like that. It almost feels like in a way if all the lmp1 class cars wilt then actually taking back to the sort of first principles of le mans which is in fact you get these cars which are more recognizable as road cars Mm -hmm. duking it out in their own battle and so all is not lost in fact maybe this is a way in which the series will sort of reset itself i like your positive attitude and you're absolutely right the gt racing has been consistently fabulous the last few years it's been great and this year was fantastic. Amazing. It was a fantastic GT battle. It decided on the, on the last lap. lap. Yeah. Mm. And we were following that fight almost as closely as we were following yep. the LMP1. I would be happy to go to Le Mans and watch another race like that, just watch the GT cars, for sure. But that's kind of getting away from the question of just how bad is this crisis in the prototype category. And it's... Uh, it's a know, worry. It's, it, I think it is the end of an era. I think we have seen the end of an era. Whatever comes out of the other side of this, who knows what it's going to be, but it's going to be a different-looking kind of race series it's going to be different well funny you should say that because the most different funny looking kind of race series at the moment is formula e and porsche are talking about engaging with this championship at a pretty committed level just like bmw and mercedes and mercedes have they're they're holding off a year aren't they but they're going to come in formula e is starting to do damage Steal an audience, be an additional I, audience. I don't think it's stealing an audience. Yeah, I think what's the, 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 yeah, the, what, the viewing what's... figures are very low. Mm-hmm. It is not hurting anybody's viewing figures. It's cheap, isn't it? But what it's are the cheap. viewing figures for the WEC? I don't think they're massive, are they? I think it's well attended in person by people. And Le Mans obviously is because it's huge. Mm. But actual people watching it on telly, mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's that big. And it's out there on one of the cable Exactly, channels, how do you watch it? it? But it's a minority thing, it's not... People um, sort of tag along almost, and I do this, you sort of tag along with what's happening in other events outside of Le Mans, just by looking at social media. Mm-hmm. And the reason why Porsche are probably going to go into Formula E is the reason why any big manufacturer goes into any motorsport. Ultimately, they're not there for the good of their health, they're there for marketing reasons. Mm-hmm. They want to try and put some reflected glory onto their road cars. If you're talking about someone who makes a lot of road cars, like Porsche, Ferrari uh, are not in Formula One just because they like going around the world driving around in circles. Because it all works for Ferrari as an entity. I mean, they're a little bit different because they've been in motorsport for so long and been in Formula One for so long. It is a different brand. It's not necessarily the best example, but... It's more than cars, well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm Whenever not, they have that little stampy foot thing, they go, oh, we're probably going to leave Formula 1 because we don't like how it's going. And you go, no, you're not. <laughs> because you milk it too much for your road cars yeah, and the reflected yeah. glory on your road cars, even when the team is not doing amazingly well, is right. too important to them. And the same is true of Porsche being in the World Endurance Championship is because, at that point, running a hybrid car, they're starting to make a lot of hybrid road cars, mm-hmm. and it just sort of looks good on them. 
To be on that. Well, now this Mission E is coming along, this road car, electric road car. It'll say Mission E on the car, won't it? It's yeah. very important for them to be in electric races. Have you it's noticed why Jaguar are in well, there because they've got an electric car coming this year. It's why yep. BMW are in there because they're already doing electric oh, cool. cars. Yeah. Audi, all yeah. of it is all marketing. Of course, absolutely right about that. That's the forward-looking aspect of this. That we're going to do this, we're going to spend this money so that we can sell these cars in the future. Mm. There's also the aspect, I think, that the VAG group needs to improve its image a bit after mm. mm-hmm. the diesel scandal mm. and this is part of the fallout from that they're and, distancing fair, themselves yeah and Porsche has come back into endurance racing they've done four years they've won Le Mans three times and they've made their point yeah <laughs> they've made their point that they're still the boss so in a way they can step back and say job done Mm. and move on to something else. But it does leave the fans, and it leaves Toyota, and it leaves the WEC in quite a pickle. It's a terrible shame for Toyota that the last couple of years, their duel with Porsche has been fabulous to watch. It's been heartbreaking to see what's happened to Toyota on track. But they've built a great car, they've put a great team together, and they've raced beautifully. And they all but won last year, and it Mm. was only a cruel twist of fate that robbed them. Again this year, you know, it was a great battle. <laughs> there was a lot of fragility to share out between all the LMP runners, really. But Toyota deserves some good opposition next year. Mm. It would be a terrible shame if they won against zero opposition. Mm. Should we put a team together, boys? Do you think we can cobble an LMP one together? I, yeah, I mean, it can't be that difficult, can no, it? I no. don't. <laughs> but this is really. the thing. I know what you mean. This, from a fan's point of view, it's sort of it's an emotional argument, but. My point about the marketing side of it for car companies is that it's instant emotional. No. There's no... It, it, it's cold, of, hard money, yeah. I, well, I'm sure there's a tiny little feeling of, well, in the final reckoning, should we, shouldn't we? Right, we've got the money in place, it's been signed off. There is that kind of, yeah, let's go racing, because the kind of cool thing that you want to do, there is always going to be some emotional component to it, but it's very far down beneath, is there going to be enough of a return on this? I and mean, it's always something that fascinates me about motorsport. If McLaren, not McLaren, bad example, if... Ferrari, <laughs> Ferrari win a Formula One race. Do they sell any more four eight eights the next week? I don't think so. But probably the overall sort of warm glow of success and motorsport pedigree around them is probably quite hard to quantify. And yet, somehow, it's yeah. definitely part of it's their. Sort of yeah. there, yeah. It's yeah. part of their it's, brand. It's, yeah, it is. It's the same thing. Well, McLaren, well, as a road car company, wouldn't work if they weren't already a well-known race team. Agreed. Mm-hmm. No matter how successful point. or not they are now. There is all that history they can draw on, and they do. Well, they're going to have to rewrite their own history now. Many of them, Porsche, are doing that by going into Formula E. It's what's happening in motorsport is reflecting what's happening in the wider motoring world, where we're now looking at policies which will remove internal combustion engine cars from a number of European countries, and I include Britain as a European country, even if we're not in the EU, before 2050. Norway are talking about doing it, is it 2020 or 2025? If we should clarify, you say remove from the road. Uh, okay, no longer sell. No longer I d- sell yeah, new yeah. vehicles. Yeah, correct. With, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, nice and accurate as ever. This is happening in motorsport, but the car manufacturers are now having to invest in marketing those technologies because they're looking at their long-term strategies. You have an immediate, a medium and a long-term strategy. It's part of that. Formula E is part of that. Sure. In talking about this evolution of the car entry as a whole and how that relates to motorsport, I think it's interesting to think about the fact that actually there's more than one revolution taking place in the auto industry at the moment. We have the transition from essentially the eternal combustion engine to electric power Mm -hmm. which is a big deal and it's happening and (laughs) there's no way that's not happening but we've also got the move from 
ownership. individual human drivers behind the wheel to autonomous cars, mm-hmm. self-driving vehicles, and the move from us all owning our own car to increasingly shared models of ownership. Um, a, a the transport the, the, the solution. Well, yeah, you see, well, uh, you know, in that respect, and, 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 motorsport and things, is way ahead of us because I know for a fact that Lewis Hamilton does not own his Formula One car. <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> he just borrows it every other weekend. <laughs> well, it seems to me that so much of what we love about motorsport is kind of embedded in personal ownership and in individual skill. And these are things that aren't part of the future of cars. They're not part of the future of road cars. Mm. And that is surely going to have some impact on motorsport in, oh, in some way that I just can't imagine. But uh, um, Can we imagine that for a moment? We're kind of there with Formula E where they've got to swap cars in the middle of the, mm. the race. That's, that's the thing. When all of the big hitters really arrive, that will have gone away, won't mm-hmm. it? That's the, yep. next, the next target. sort of major change in that sport is that there won't be that inelegant car change thing, which is a bit cock It is a bit, yeah. And yeah. once they get rid of that, and when you get this sort of major money coming in, you know, which I suppose Audi and Jaguar are sort of warming everyone up, for, and Renault are there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it could that. be Nissan. They might be rebranding that as Nissan in mm. the next couple of seasons, I believe. Yeah, which would make can. sense again. It comes yeah. back to marketing. There's a new Nissan Leaf coming out this year. Yeah. And Nissan are going to do another big push to make sure that remains. I think it's the world's best-selling electric car. And they want to make sure people associate them as being in the vanguard of accessible Mm. electric cars that people can actually buy. You know, forget Tesla. Mm. Tesla is still sort of quite a niche thing. And I don't think the Model 3 is going to change it anytime soon. And meanwhile, Nissan are churning out this five-door hatchback that you can buy or lease for a relatively low price. And Nissan being in Formula E would be all part of that big push. Look, it's not just a normal-looking five-door hatchback. It's motorsport honed. Mm. Imagine if Le Mans had a category for pure electric cars. They could do what they do at Formula E, they could have three cars. You know, they'd have a three-car team. <laughs> well, they need more than that, wouldn't they? How long would it take to charge them, though? If they got a fast charger, they probably yeah. could get away with three. Yeah, yeah. But what well, if they weren't allowed to recharge? They'd have to have, like, yeah. ten or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. They, they'll do the panels thing. They'll have the panels... Modular battery. battery. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the way to do yeah, it. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Or run a hydrogen car, if you can get or the top speed out. just inductive charging. In the pit lane, yeah. Or on the oh. Mulsanne straight. Yeah, the yeah. Mulsanne straight oh, yeah. becomes your charging strength. Nice, nice. Oh, it wouldn't be really exciting. See, well, I, slow down. but that hey, what about this though? There's a parallel lane down the Mulsanne Strait, and the yeah. thing is, I don't know whether inductive charging doesn't work if you're going too fast. I'm not sure about this. Just need them closer uh, together. Well, okay, the coils. You, hang on. Okay, well, we're going to get in deeper. Well, I was going to say, you say, you know, it, it doesn't work if you're going too fast relative to what? When you're writing down any equations that have to do with electromagnetism mm, which I do all the time but I just haven't it doesn't have to be induction charging you could just put a couple of brushes down like a scale extra car oh, and yeah. Yeah, but, but my point is that sometimes yeah, you're coming you're around you're behind a rival and you think a... that they're going to go for an overtaking move on the Mulsanne Strait but then they realise they're running low on battery they've got to pull into the right. so it's like a bus lane like alongside this. and just ease off to get some juice in and that puts a whole different strategic Le Mans with a capital E Le Mans if you notice the way that a lot of these electric cars that are coming there's a Jaguar I-Pace the Audi e-tron BMW i3 i8 already here there's the i5 apparently the way, yeah there's a rumor they're not bringing the i5 out they're not rushing it through like it's sort of i don't know why i think because they basically the i3 and the i8 haven't sold as well as they hoped and they need to get some money back but all of these electric cars are defined as a lot of tech is by a lowercase letter at the yes, start yes yes, yes. This, and we will yes. look back on this and go, <laughs> why did we ever do why that? Why are we doing that? It's, it's like that trend just after the millennium. All these companies were rebranded with names like uh, 
confimitard. Confimitard. Litotion. What's that? It's not a word. Because, yeah, because, because, because it's got a Latin colour. words that mean nothing yes. at all. Twingo. Yeah. 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 Or the fact that in the 80s, everything was turbo. <laughs> you beat me to it. I was who, just who about made to your, uh, Who made your sunglasses? Oh, turbo. turbo. Yeah. Yeah. What aftershave is that? Turbo. Turbo, turbo for men. Hey, I'm sure we'll return to the 80s in the future oh, of uh, Gareth Jones on Speed. But as we're now into the summer holidays, I think I should tell you that the next episode will be our annual summer music compilation. And this year we've picked a theme entirely appropriate for a soggy summer. He was Zog. Goodbye. He was Richard. Goodbye. I was Gareth. See ya. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!